as I was preparing for this week, I realized that the last time I had preached on this text was in 2007. A lot has changed in 12 years. I was one year into my first call as a pastor out of seminary in 2007, and I was so captivated as I read these texts by the idea of widening of God's call, a place at the table for all of creation, and I can still see that theme throughout our readings for this day. Something new is happening. A new heaven and a new earth, a new Jerusalem, a new mission to a new group of people, a new commandment. Everything is new. In our reading from the book of Acts, we get a bit more in the story of Peter. Peter, that disciple who is always so real, who struggles and forgets and meets Jesus and then begins spreading the gospel that changed his own life. Acts, this book we will continue to read during the season of Easter, is the story of what happened after Jesus ascended to heaven. It's kind of like a sequel to Luke, telling the stories of the lives of these important people after the world was radically changed. It's like the second season of a really good television program. <laughs> When the church was coming into existence, it's fair to say that the mission was mostly to people who looked exactly like those early disciples. They spoke the same language, they knew the same people, they lived in the same places, and most importantly, they ate the same food. Eating foods that were clean, foods that were commanded by God to be eaten by the people of God, following codes of purity, was something that set people apart from their counterparts. Eating the right foods, making sure that one stayed pure, was a part of their identity. It connected them to their ancestors through time. You don't mess with purity laws, because every time that the Jewish people became lax on following these laws, they ended up in exile. And in the text, Peter has a dream. In his dream, a huge sheet comes down from heaven, and on it were these animals that were unclean for eating. A voice comes to Peter to tell him to go, go to this sheet, and kill the animals that are on it. Of course, understandably, Peter thinks like, okay, this is a test. <laughs> Surely not. I would never put unclean or profane things in my mouth. And then the voice comes again and says, what God has called clean, you must not call profane. Three times Peter sees this vision. He's still a little confused. And then there's a knock on the door and three men are standing before him and the spirit starts urging Peter to go with them and not make a distinction. And so Peter trots off with these men and somehow the spirit gets in the middle of them and all of a sudden it's like another Pentecost. God is heaping these gifts on these people without asking if they're circumcised, if they're Jew or Gentile. God isn't asking any questions. And we can just imagine Peter sort of looking around, seeing all these people basking in the presence of the Holy Spirit and shrugging his shoulders and saying like, well, who am I to hinder God? If God isn't asking questions, then I guess I'm not either. 
And so begins this mission to the Gentile people. That's how we got in the church. That's when all the believers after Jesus saw a revelation of the Spirit and said that God can work in some pretty crazy places, even among us. That's when people had their eyes open to see that God was doing a new thing, a new thing among people who were on the outside, a new thing among those who don't really fit in anywhere. Then we have this reading from the Gospel of John, the same story that we hear on Monday, Thursday. Jesus is sharing a meal with his disciples and giving them a new commandment, a commandment to love one another with the same love that Jesus has for us. This commandment is to love one another with more than the love you might find on a Hallmark card. It isn't a primarily emotional love, but that can change or lessen with time. It's to sincerely appreciate God's people merely for the fact that they've been created. That's what this love is all about. And this commandment is new because Jesus is telling them to love one another so that others will recognize us as the followers of Christ. It seems kind of telling that these two lectionary texts are together because Acts is all about how people are trying to live out the commandments of Jesus after his death. And this commandment to love one another is the last one that we receive before Jesus hangs on a cross on Good Friday. I think most of us would agree that it's pretty easy to love people who are just like us. In fact, I find it very easy to love people who vote like me who support the same causes that I do, who stare at the television in disbelief at the same times that I do. I find it easy to love people who think my jokes are funny and who laugh at the same jokes that I do, and who are appalled at the state of the world like I am. When I hear Jesus' command to love one another, those are the people that I'm willing to get on board with. But in the same breath that we hear this command of Jesus to love one another, we also hear the story of Peter, who wasn't so sure about who was included in this love. Could God really work outside of these codes? Could God really reside among people who might not get it? Could God work among those outside, even among those that were unclean? If we're going to follow this message of Christ, this new commandment that we love one another, then we recognize that the boundaries of God's love have no boundary. That means that the Holy Spirit is found in prisons and in brokenness, in greedy rich people, in meetings of conservatives and liberals, in immigration marches, in back alleys, on streets, and right here among us gathered tonight. The Holy Spirit that could come into the presence of even those Gentile believers has a way of crossing boundaries and making all things new even if we aren't ready for it. That means we don't have an exclusive relationship. We can't hold the Holy Spirit close and say we have a monopoly on God's work. It's everywhere. It's around us in those people we would look at and think, Surely God is not doing anything with them. And where God is, that's the place where we also ought to be, 
loving and serving as Jesus did. But here's the thing. When I first preached on this text in 2007, I felt different. I felt more hopeful. I was excited about the possibility of the first black president. I felt like things could change. I wasn't watching the news horrified as things were being signed into law all over the country that were attempting to take away the rights of women over their own bodies. I wasn't hearing the story of an ELCA pastor being detained by ICE only months before she began her doctoral studies at the seminary where I teach. I wasn't showing up at protests and having to explain to my children that our faith compels us to stand up against injustice wherever we see it. Partly, I was, probably like some of you, living much more into my privilege back in 07, not listening and not asking harder questions. I wasn't paying attention and asking myself what was happening to people who didn't look like me. I thought the real radical nature of this text was that, you know, in my family, the liberals and conservatives could sit down together and have dinner. And don't get me wrong, that is still here. But you see, that isn't all that there is. God is always breaking down our boundaries, always inviting more people to the table. But when we get there, God is serving more love and more justice. So yes, everyone's invited, but there's an agenda at dinner. Because when Christ sits down with his friends and commands them to love one another, well, that love is more than just accepting what has always been and sort of shrugging our shoulders at the status quo. That love is more than just welcoming everyone to show up and stay exactly the way that they already are. That love is transformational. It ends up, it upends what we think God is doing and calls us to something so much greater. That love is propping open the door so more folks can come in and reminding us that we have work to do. That love is calling out all the white supremacist thoughts and behaviors we engage in the ways our lives have been built on binaries, the ways we profit from some people being poor or lost or ignored. That love isn't just calling us to share a meal, but to share our lives with one another and to leave the table looking and feeling different. That love empowers us to ask people to change, to ask ourselves what, has, what we have been holding onto that is getting in the way of justice to risk and share and try something new. Rachel Held Evans, who some of you might know, is an ex-evangelical writer who recently died, and she wrote in one of her books, imagine if every church became a place where everyone is safe, but no one is comfortable. Imagine if every church became a place where we told one another the truth. We might just create a sanctuary. Imagine that. The Spirit is already working in ways beyond our wildest dreams, in places that none of us ever thought possible. And so with our ancestor Peter, we might just shrug our shoulders and ask ourselves, who am I to hinder God? And then we show up. 
and we get uncomfortable, and we tell the truth to ourselves and to our neighbors, and we rejoice, because this has been God's vision all along. Amen. Amen.